This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roosh takes a deeper look into the book of Timothy with a message entitled, He's Got This, which goes into detail about learning to be content, which is strongest when you're full of gratitude. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now to learn more. of today's message is, He's Got This. Say that with me. He's got this. And uh, when I think about the values that Paul was wanting to transfer over to Timothy, one of the things that he's wanting to do, and we're going to look at it here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in a moment, but this value of contentment, this sense of you're going to be okay, you don't have to have something else to make you good enough, This is something that Paul would transfer to Timothy because he needed it. Even in the job that I have now as a pastor of a church, it's interesting to me that there can be pressure to keep up with what other churches are doing. And people are happy to share ideas with their pastor about what they think should be happening at Emmanuel. And now all of a sudden, I feel like, oh shoot, I should be doing something else. There's something wrong and there's pressure. And I know it's true In our day and age, we've got pressure from every side to be good enough. It's based off of comparison, and it's not based on contentment. Today, we're going to see how Paul instructs Timothy to handle the pressures of leadership. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we have brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Amen to that. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be what? Content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is very interesting language. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's talking about contentment. And contentment is something to attain to, to gain in your life. He talks about in verse 7 that it's actually eternal. The stuff that we want, we we didn't come into the world with, and we can't take it with us. But contentment lasts beyond those limitations. There's some in the church, in the church world that Paul is addressing, that Timothy's feeling the pressure from. They're trying to utilize godliness as a way to get money. Teachers who are using the gospel as a way to profit themselves. Or even to utilize the teaching of the gospel as a mechanism to get more money. And friends, let me tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, the word of God is clear. That you follow Jesus not so you can get more stuff. You follow Jesus not so that you get, quote, quote, more blessing. You are a recipient of the grace of Jesus Christ. You were born into sin, and Jesus sets you free, and you're safe. And you have all that you need right now. Now, you are on a journey of discovering his purposes for your life, and you want to be a good steward of what he gives you. But he is responsible for the increase. You aren't chasing what he wants you to do so you can get an increase 
You are faithful where he's placed you. And if he increases your kingdom, if God gives you more things and more responsibility, then you are doing it in response to his love for you, not because you're using him. Can I get an amen to that? Godliness isn't a trigger to gain more. Godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. And everything that we have is temporary. Everything. And often we get caught up in thinking it isn't, and we hold on to the temporary. We get so close to the tree that we miss the force of truth on things. And when it comes to what we do and how we handle things, our identity cannot come from the temporary. Our identity cannot come from our job or our status or how much we own or where we are in our story or how much fame that we have or how much many likes we have or how many followers on our YouTube channel. Our identity can't come from those things because they're all temporary. We must be rooted in an identity as a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. I am more than enough through Jesus. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Can I get an amen to that? Now he says some people, though, in verse 9, are trapped by uh, a lack of contentment. They aren't having contentment, and specifically he speaks to a love for money. Now, it's not a love. Uh, money itself is not the issue. It's the love for money that's a root or a doorway to other evils. And when he talks about a love of money, he's speaking specifically to the motives of the heart, how people are wanting something so that they can feel good about themselves. And when you are chasing other things so that you can feel good about yourselves. In other words, I won't feel good until I have that car. I won't feel good until I have that spouse. I won't feel good until I have a kid. I won't feel good until I get to that status in the company or I rise through the ranks and I become an owner. If I won't feel good until that point, it opens the door to other things. And specifically, if you think about Paul and his story, He's addressing people that could fall and they begin to wander. And the word wander is used there in the text. And some people wander from the true faith and they're full of sorrow as a result. They love other things. And the bottom line is, Paul is saying, listen, it's possible to learn to be content in a generation that isn't. Friends, the gospel is about the hope that moves us out of inadequacy and the mess we're in. So the good news I want to share with you today is if you follow the gospel, you'll actually feel better about yourself and and along the way, God may bless you with things that you didn't anticipate. But if you chase those other things and you don't embrace the gospel, you can have all the riches in the world and lose your soul. You can feel empty even though you have everything. So it's not about what you have, it's about where your identity is found and rooted in. I was looking this week at the story of Dr. Rick, uh, Victor Frankl, who was imprisoned in a Nazi uh, concentration camp in Auschwitz. Dr. Frankl was in there, and he lost his mom and his dad and his siblings. He lost his wife and his children. All of them died in the concentration camps, and yet he survived. He didn't have enough food. He was emaciated. He had seen horrible, tra- tragic stuff happen all around him. And he became a student of how do people survive and how can they become content in difficult circumstances. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which has sold over 12 million copies. 
about his experience in the concentration camp, which led him to discover the importance of finding meaning in just about everything. One of the things that he said is this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And I want you to hear me today. We may not be able to choose our circumstances, but we can choose our attitude toward them. We may not be able to choose our circumstances, but we can choose our attitude toward them. And if we are not careful, and our identity is rooted in the temporary, if we're chasing temporary things, then it unleashes other things in our life. I want you to consider this. There are things that people do when their identity is in the temporary. They lose their ethics in the pursuit of their career and their hunger for success. They can become passionate about getting to a place, so much so that they leave the values of the truth of the word, of honor and love and care and honesty and integrity behind all because they want to get to their objective. People can feel threatened by peers who outshine or advance further than them. They can't be happy for success in their friends or the people that they see. Some people, they begin to mistreat people under their authority and measure people by what they do for you rather than lead toward God's design for their life. Others lack grace for others because of an attitude that is never enough and we become insensitive to other people's development. Some people, they consistently worry about tomorrow. And worriers cannot be content for their mind is occupied. It's impossible to be content and worry. Worrying replaces our trust in God with self-sufficiency. It says, I've got to make this happen. I've got to do something. If something good isn't happening, then we feel that sense that we've got to make it happen. Or then we feel the gap and we feel like we're a loser and we beat ourselves up. And then when it comes to love, what we love, we are in danger. The Bible says in there in in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money, the love of it, the pursuit of to fill a gap in our own lives, that love. Love, when you love something, you give some uh, uh, things away. You dedicate time and effort and creativity and hope, and you open yourself up to those things and let the other person in, and the two hearts occupy one space. When Jody and I were dating, I, I was into her. She was into me, and it was, it was magical. It was chemistry, and all I could think about was Jody, and all she could think about was me. At least that's what I thought. And, and uh, we would be in a room, and there would be a whole bunch of people in the room, and we're so locked in on each other. We literally had people come and go, hey, hello, I'm here too. I'm here too. And that love shut out other things, and it was locked into each other. And, of course, as love matures, you learn to balance things, but Love consumes things. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And Paul is speaking to his younger son in the faith, Timothy, and he's saying, listen, you can live in such a way 
that your own desires, your desire for help and, and things and success don't quash or squelch the fire of God that's inside of you. You can love God. You can trust him with everything. But if you don't and you begin to trust something else, then you'll discover that you'll wander away. And when you wander away like sheep do from a flock, that's when the wolf gets them. And so you've got to keep your heart true. You've got to stay on God's purposes and stay in that love that only God can give. So today, I want to just give you a few things of how to be content. Number one, learn to be content. This is something that Paul obviously has that maybe Timothy doesn't yet. So Paul is saying, learn to be content like me, okay? And he's speaking out of who he is. Now, Paul didn't start this way. How many of you, when you progress from first to second to third to fourth to fifth grade, you actually learn new things along the way? You didn't learn it all at once. It's a process. And for Paul, it was a process. In fact, if you look at all of his letters, including Philippians, for example, he talks about contentment in there. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is interesting. How many know that last verse? But often we don't think of the verses leading up to that verse 13. Because Paul is saying, I have had to learn how to do this. You know, sometimes on, on your worst days, I don't know what your worst days look like, but on the bad day, the worst day, the low point in the week, when things aren't going right, are you instantly thinking, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength? It's not, it's not intuitive. It's not natural in that moment. It's not the first thing that comes to the forefront. Well, I want you to take hope from Paul. He says, I've actually learned how I can in times of plenty and times of inadequacy, times of lack, times when I didn't have anything, times when I was lonely, times when I didn't have much company or cheerleaders or feeling like people were on the same path, times when my marriage isn't exactly the way I want it to be. In those times, I have learned I can be content in that moment through Christ who gives me strength. In those moments when you're worried about what's going on with your kids and what's going to happen with them, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says, I've learned, and learning is a process. We were taught to always want more and that things aren't never enough, and we may have learned that we find our position and significance in the wealth that we gain or the status that we have. So Paul says, listen, you might have learned that one way. So listen, the next step for him is this. We must first address what to unlearn. So if we're going to learn Paul's way, we've got to address what we need to unlearn. Our family of origin, the way we are wired to think, the process we go through to interpret the situations and the circumstances of our life are the filter that we look through. And sometimes we don't even know it, we automatically do it. So when something bad happens, what comes out of your mouth? 
when you're thinking about something, somebody dis, uh, disappointed you or talked behind your back, who's the first person that you call? Or what do you do? You talk behind their back? Or what kind of comes out of your mouth? It's kind of instinctual stuff that we have to unlearn. Patterns of thinking where we focus on the negative or we're consumed with worry or our identity and what we do. Patterns of what we do with time and people and money. The statement is that Jesus is in your blood when you get saved. His blood has set us free. But your grandparents are in your bones. Your family root systems and how you were trained as a child play into how you interpret life. Those thinking patterns move in. And I've known people who have carried generational worry. Their mom was a worrier, so they became a worrier. And if you're going to move the biblical way of contentment, you're going to have to break from the way mom did things and unlearn that and learn a new way to learn how Jesus would have you do it. Let me ask you some questions. What comes out of your mouth? What do you say? Do you speak out of worry, out of scarcity? Do you sound like a victim that expects bad things to happen? Do you consistently tear down other people's success because of envy and jealousy? Are you talking with faith in God's abilities or do you confess your inabilities? If you speak negatively out of your heart, or Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, your mind is occupied. I want you to consider this. If you're in that state of being, your mind is occupied. I might say preoccupied. It's full. And now all of a sudden when it's full, there's not room for any other emotion. And you kick yourself into a cycle of anxiety. And you're full of desire for something else. And it's impossible to be content. So you have to unlearn that. If you only talk about what you don't have, your heart and mind becomes filled with greed. Because now you view every person that asks for something as somebody that's robbing you from your opportunity to get where you need to be. Or you hold on to things or you chase things simply because you're trying to fill a void that's on the inside and your mind is occupied. So we have to, we have to learn to unlearn. Learn to unlearn and then we can be content. Number two, the second thing is occupy your mind with gratitude. So if your mind has been occupied with something else, why not replace that with gratitude? Make a list every day of what you do have. I want you to consider what you do have. You have people. You have people in this room. And I, I, I would encourage you, even right now, to doodle a list of things to be grateful for. Things that you could put in your notes uh, that's on the Emmanuel MN app or, or on a piece of paper or pull a, a tithe envelope out of the, the seat in front of you and to consider, well, what do I have to be grateful for? Who do I have to be grateful for? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm grateful you're here. <laughs> it starts with what you see and start noticing what you have to be grateful for. You have grace from Jesus. You and I were born into sin. We don't deserve the freedoms that Jesus has given us. We can start with the base knowledge. I'm a child of God, adopted into the royal family of heaven. I have something to be grateful for. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is involved in my daily life. 
And learning to be grateful, thankful. Can't be ungrateful and content at the same time. You can't do both. So if you want to switch tracks and unlearn the ungrateful part of things and be content, you have to learn to think of things to be grateful for, to put down on your list of gratitude, to think through those things. Lamentations 3.23 says, Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Every day that you wake up, you have an opportunity for fresh mercy. Now, friends, for us, we need to learn to list those things out. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of every person that's ever been kind to us or taught us or gave us an opportunity to think of the privilege we have of being in today. And gratitude will pull the weeds of greed from your heart. Gratitude will pull the weeds of greed from your heart. Third thing, how do you move towards contentment? Is remember God is bigger than any obstacle. God is bigger than any obstacle. Sometimes we get so close to our problems and then we try to think of how we're gonna work ourselves out of whatever it is that's in front of us. And Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him, for them. God has a way of weaving it all together. And they're not, he's not in denial about the difficult. He's just not self-reliant in the difficult. Independence, self-reliance, insecurity, all the pressure's on me. It's all on me. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna figure, get this done. You, get, you open the, the, the mail and it's a bill and you're like, you're overwhelmed. Right then, you get a phone call, a text message, or, or something happens, or maybe even you lose your job, or some bad news comes into play. Right in front of you, at that moment, worry wants to take over your brain. And in that moment, you might feel like, I can't do this. I want to ask for a show of hands. Uh, how, how many of you have ever said, I can't take it anymore? We feel these things. We hit those moments where we feel like we're overwhelmed. And this is what I want you to catch. In that moment, we need to remember it doesn't matter what tree I'm looking at, God sees the whole forest. And he knows how to get me from here to here to here to here. It's too complex, too overwhelming for me to figure out it in the moment. And when I try to and I stuff all the reliance for getting out of this jam I'm in, on my emotions, on my brain, yes, I can't take it anymore. But if I can learn to say, wait a second, I serve a God who can weave everything together. He's got this. He's got this. In that moment, I've got to say, oh God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I am overwhelmed, it's too much for me. I don't know how to make my kids make right choices. That's too much for me. Yes, it is too much for me. That's why Jesus said, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. Take it to the Lord. Don't carry the worry, take it to him. Content people have a long view of their lives, and they know that the one who started the work is faithful to complete the work. 
By the way, when I don't know how to make it work and the thoughts come up in my brain and whatever concerns and worries I have, this is the time as your pastor that I pray in the Spirit. It's a practice you see in the New Testament. Paul talks about it over and over again. Sometimes there aren't words to pray out, so you pray in the Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit is with you right where you're at in every season and stage of life? And you can pray in the Spirit. You're like, I don't know how to pray in the Spirit. Just talk. Say, Holy Spirit, I, wanna, I need help. I need you to pray through me. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, ask him for more. I want to be baptized. If you, if you can speak in a spiritual language, some people call it tongues, pray in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. When you don't have words, let God pray through you. It's amazing how he can lift the burden of the heart off, and you don't even know what just happened. You just met with God. You just met with God. Number four, this is the last one. Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek the kingdom of God first. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to an audience that's much like modern America. He's in Jerusalem and he's speaking to a crowd. This is in a series of messages that he had that are called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's looking at a lot of stressed out people who are filled with worry. People that had religion, by the way. They could go to church every week. They knew the word from the Old Testament, many of them. They had all the tools that were there, and yet they were still stressed out. And Jesus begins to speak to them in Matthew 6 about things, don't worry so much. And he begins to introduce, I come to preach a kingdom that's a way out of the way you've been living. He says this in verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. There's a lot that Jesus teaches in this. He's, one, he's teaching about each day has its own issues, right? But I know this. Since I've been preaching, I'll bet you there's a bunch of you that have already been worried about tomorrow. And human nature says, I'm, I, gotta, I gotta worry about that. I need to take the worry in today. And Jesus would say, stop it. I got tomorrow. I've got tomorrow. You give me your today. And I'll give you your tomorrow. Emmanuel Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.